We're in a series right now called Restore, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 5 today. Uh, my friend Josh, he was able to communicate uh, the first two-thirds of the chapter last week. Today I get to communicate the latter one-third of the chapter. You see what I did there? Gave him more ground to cover. That's called smart. Um, today we get to really unpack something. I tell you that it's so important, so important to understand some of the contextualization of this. Because I will go ahead and tell you that when you look at the overall theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is not easy. It is not easy. The Corinthian church was absolutely full of problems. Now, in some ways, I think that's encouraging. Because uh, if you haven't looked at the church today, a lot of them are full of problems. Why? Because we're all sinners. And of course, people then look at it and go, I don't want to go to church that's full of hypocrites. The church... People, if you're watching online, wherever you are, we are full of hypocrites, but we have grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? And that's what we got to recognize, and there's a difference there. We know that we're broken and we're sinners, but we're striving to live as Christ would want us. We are striving to live according to his word because of the beauty of it and what it means for our life. So here's this church that was full of problems, um, and it was a new church. Right? We know that he spent 18 months there, and now he's in Ephesus, most likely writing. We're also going to hear in this uh, later on that this is probably not, 1 Corinthians is probably not the first letter. It's the first one that we actually have documentation of because he's referring to another one here. Some would say he had wrote three letters. Some would say four. doesn't really matter. So here he is, and here's this church full of problems, and this, this new church has adopted and picked up worldly practices that we're not honoring to God. Let me go ahead and tell you something right now. He's addressing the believer in this letter. You must hear this. If you read this in context of looking at the world, you're going to misread it and misinterpret it and not know properly what he's trying to communicate. So here he is. He's addressing the believer because they're not honoring to God because they are adopting and picking up the worldly practices. And not only are they adopting them, they're infusing them into the ministry of the church. We also know that Paul, he had a, he had a hard time there. Um, you know that he had a hard time. Listen, uh, Acts chapter 9, he's on the way to Damascus, blinded by the light. Paul comes. You know that he loved Jesus, right? We want to multiply transformed followers of. We know this, and you know that he is a transformed follower because he, he was smart. He was educated. He could have gone on and, and done a lot and cli climbed the, the rabbi ranks and done a lot of things with that. He was already, even when he came to know Christ in Acts chapter 9, he was already well known by that, those individuals, and he could have climbed the ranks, and he says, you know what, nope. Instead, he goes around traveling all these places. Many of the times, he was being rejected for what he was preaching. That's why I always say, just invest in the spiritually motivated. Because he would go and say, listen, if you're teaching the truth and preaching the truth and people want to reject it and give you a hard time, just move on and go somewhere else. Right? People have asked me even recently, like, hey, um, why are you in West Michigan? And I was like, because God called me to West Michigan. And they're like, well, can you go a little deeper than that? I'm like, you know what? I think we have a group of people right now that is seasoned, um, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are receptive to the word of God. And as a result of that, there's a movement of God. Otherwise, you just do this and you go on and people who want to hear. Those who have ears, let them hear. And so you look at this and you go, okay, wait a second here. There's something significant because you know Paul was a transformed follower. Otherwise, he would have just said, he would have bailed on this because he had been there 18 months earlier and he's going to all these other places and they're rebelling and, and resisting his teaching. And he's stepping in again right now and he's going, guys, you need to know, man, you, you got to start living for Jesus Christ. 
Here's what he does in the first two chapters. I'm going to over, over, oversimplify this. First two chapters, he addresses church division. He's like, you can't, he doesn't only address church division. It's the primary theme. You can't even get along with each other. No wonder the world wants nothing to do with you because you don't look any different from the world. So he addresses church division. Chapters one and two. All right. In chapters three and four, the primary thing that he addresses is spiritual immaturity. You guys claim to know God. You claim to know Christ and the power of what he did in the resurrection. And yet you're still not you're still on milk. Now, you got to eat some solid food. You don't need a five-year game plan to learn how to share your faith. You need to encounter the living God and talk about it. That's what you need to be able to do. And so he calls it out. He's like, there's this spiritual immaturity. We got to go to a different place here, guys. You got to grow up at some point. If you're 12 and your mom and dad still have to make your bed, there's a problem. Parents, you're welcome for that. All right? So... At some point, you're going to grow up enough, and you're going to mature enough, and you're going to start living accordingly. And he's like, where's the spiritual maturity here? There's a problem, and there's a disconnect within the church. Uh, uh, the other thing he jumps into with uh, chapters 5 and 6 is sexual immorality. Now, it's not only in chapters 5 and 6, but he addresses it very, very specifically. And he's addressing it to who? Is he addressing it to the world? Say no. Is he addressing it to the believer in the church? Yes. Okay, good. You're good listeners. That's what he's going to be able to do right now. Why? Because the Corinthian church was tolerating sexual immorality. Now, we know that it was rampant there. There's over a thousand prostitutes come down every night because of the trade. And all these people would come in, all these different sailors and everything else. And, you know, it's a horrendous culture in that way. Um, and, but he, and here, in the beginning of chapter 5, you heard from, from Josh last week, even those around them that were pagans couldn't believe what they were tolerating. This is what it says. It's, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So even the pagans are coming and they're looking at the church, this new church, and they're going, what? How are you allowing that there if this is what you're claiming to, be, to believe in? What's taking place here? So he's calling this out. He's confronting their tolerance of it. In verses 2 and 6, he confronts their tolerance of sin from the believer. To the believer, this is important. Because why? Here's why this is so hard. is because we know that we need to love the world. We need to care for the world. And we don't know how to hold people accountable while still loving the world. We struggle with that. And there's all different postures that come out on it. But he's going to give us some very clear instruction today. He, can, he, he ends up calling them to remove the unrepentant sinning believer. The unrepentant believer. He's calling them, get, them, get rid of them. Because they're, they're like, what? What's he do? He compares them to leaven. And that it's going to spread. Right? Uh, recently, I looked at somebody, and they're, they're struggling with their, um, their, their parents. And these are adults, by the way. They're all adults. The kids are adults. And the, the, one of the kids finally looked at the parents and says, I've never heard you say I'm sorry for a thing. Have you always gotten it right? No, we haven't. Say I'm sorry. Well, what am I saying sorry for now? You know, I, I, what are we doing? What are we doing? Every one of you have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we come before him in repentance and we say, God, forgive us. And guess what he does? He forgives. So we praise God for that and we celebrate what that means for us. 
So he's calling this out as well. And this is one way that I would even think about it for within the church body. Jesus refers to wineskins in one of his teachings. And what so many people are doing, the reason we can struggle with today's message is because we think that we are going to maintain the old self and Jesus is going to simply add on to our life and we, we want him to better us as we are. Jesus does not come in and better who you were. He changes who you are for his betterment and to give him glory and honor. You are a new creation in Christ. He doesn't try to repair the broken. He replaces the broken with the fixed. That's why we can struggle so much with it. And so now he's stepping in. And in verse 9 through 13, we get to unpack this together. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 and following. I wrote, and there's only two underlined sections for you. You call it the underlined section. You got this? All right, all four of you. Here we go. I wrote to you in my letter... Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Right? Difference in the way you treat believers and non-believers. Or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters sensing you a need to go out of the world. But now, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Or is an idolater. Now, real quick, before, you can just leave it here. I love that it compares sexual immorality with greed. Everybody do that together? That was so cool. (laughs) The things you'll do. I love that. Um, I'm going to have a good week. (laughs) Um, A reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of God. What a way to end. <laughs> All right? I mean, literally, that is, that is how it concludes this passage. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, that's referring to the believer. So just hear me out today. Today's message can be very hard for some ears. But I want you to be patient with me because when, you come, when it comes to the end, you're going to hear the love and the power of Jesus Christ for all people. Um, yes, in verse 9, Paul, as I mentioned, alludes to a previous letter in which he warned them against studying with anyone who claims to be a brother, right, um, who is sexually immoral or greedy or anything else. Um, he is going to let them know, guys, we're not responsible for what outsiders, non-believers, people of the world do. We're not responsible for that. But we do have responsibilities for those within our community of believers. You treat brothers and sisters differently than you treat people who are not of the family. In this passage, Paul can appear, he can appear to be unloving. Why? Because here's some of the language. Um, Hand them over to Satan. Okay. Cleanse yourselves from this person. Judge those inside. It says to purge the evil person. And so you know what the problem with purging the evil person is? You've got to define and identify who the evil person is. 
Right? I don't know about you guys. Any, anybody wake up today and go, I can't wait to identify all the evil people. Like, nobody wakes up. Nobody wants to do that. But what it's talking about is the believer who claims to know Christ, yet is living according to the world. And not only are they living according to the world, but they're striving and they are bringing in the practices of the world into the church, which is dishonoring to God. Right? You, you hear this. You, I hope you see the delineation between believer and non-believer here. We're not to judge the world. Guys, we should be brokenhearted for anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so there's a, a love and a, and, and a desire to just care for them. But for the person who claims to know Christ but won't live according to Christ, that's what's so confusing to the world. You're going to see that. And so we are able to look at the fact that we're not to keep company. Here's some other language for not keeping company. Don't mingle with, associate with, don't get involved with the sexually immoral people who claim to know Christ. Now, why, why does he, he doesn't only target the sexually immoral. He, he does call out the greedy, right? He calls out idolaters. He calls out other things. But why is it that it seems to be a focus on sexual immorality amongst the believers? Um, one of the reasons why is I think he knows what's downstream of this. Your understanding uh, and your desire, if, if you have a desire to practice sexual immorality as a believer in Christ, what that does in the church is it impacts your understanding of biblical marriage. It impacts your understanding, understanding of biblical identity. It impacts everything. And I know that we live in a world that says, no, 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 you, you need to understand we're trying to do things different today. Right? We're, we're moving forward as a culture. Have you ever heard this language? We're moving forward as a culture. No, we're not. We're going back as a culture. Roman Empire. 15 primary Roman emperors. 14 of the 15 is identified at least. 13 or 14. depends on who you study. And I've researched this a lot. All had little boys living with them in the palace. Now, do I need to go further than this in terms of what that means? Yes or no? Good. No. We're not moving forward. We're going back. And if you study world history, what you learn is everybody who gives their self to sexual immorality in terms of especially in faith, what ends up happening is every one of those cultures has collapsed. We're not moving forward. We're going back because we're too prideful to learn from those who have gone before. And we're too prideful to surrender our own desires for the will of the Father. And so we don't keep company with that. Don't, don't allow... The practices of the world, greed, sexual immorality, idolatry, to be incorporated into the church. Don't do it. You, you will lose your distinctive flavor from the world. In fact, that's the primary theme. I, I simplified all of chapter 5. One simple theme. A restored church influences the world by being morally distinct. A restored church, right? Here we are in a series called Re Restore. We want God to restore us. And then as he was, listen, we're individually, we're a picture of God's church as a whole. And so our restored church influences the world by being morally distinct. We're to be morally distinct. And so if we incorporate the practices of the world that are ungodly into the church, we're no longer morally distinct. In fact, that's what confuses the world. They're like, they're no different. They can't even get along with each other.
Friends, what we need to be doing is, and this is, I'm trying to state this as clear as I can because this is a dilemma in the church. Listen, the church today, one of the reasons it is struggling so much, I'm talking about the capital C church, one of the reasons that it struggles so much is because they don't know the difference between holding people accountable, the believer accountable for unrepentant sin, yet still welcoming the sinner into the heart of the church, the non-believer. There is a difference. The church is to help the, the believer turn from sin in their life. But for the person who does not know Christ, we welcome them openly and say, we want you to understand the grace and the love and the fulfillment that Jesus Christ gives to our life, regardless of who you are. We know God redeems anyone from anything at right? That's up to him. We don't judge the world. Stop judging the world, but we are to hold each other to biblical standards if you claim to know Christ. You've got to hear the difference. So you can't walk out of this place today and go, well, you're just telling me to go judge everybody. No, I'm not. I'm telling you to lovingly hold brothers and sisters in Christ according to the word of God, to hold them accountable, but to love the world in crazy ways so that we're distinctively morally different than they are. And they go, why are you different? And we say, because we've encountered the power of Jesus. So that brings the question is, how does the church love the world without allowing the world to contaminate the deep truths of Scripture? That's the dilemma. <laughs> it's like, we, and it's ping pong. Anybody love ping pong? Like, it's, you're going back and forth. And you're just getting hit like that little ball. It's back and forth. It's like, wait, we want to love the world, but we don't want it to contaminate our deep truths in Scripture. How do we do that? And so as a result, what do we do? We go into Thanksgiving, we go into Christmas. I'll give you a prime example, right? You, anybody, you, you go into Thanksgiving, you go into Christmas, it's something we speak about, and you're like, man, it's the only time you see a family member or a friend, and you're like, do I really have to spend this joyous day with them? Anybody feel that way? Don't raise your hand. No, don't. Like some of you, pop that thing up. Like put discretion. Um, just say amen. See, now they can't, they can't go back on video and say, I saw your hand. Um, like there's, a, there's an issue that we have with that. And a lot of times they even claim to know Christ because we struggle to do this. We struggle to go to someone and say, hey, here's my, here's my thing. is when I'm going to open up Scripture, and this is what I see. And you're someone who loves the Lord, and yet I see you living a different life, practicing a different thing. And, man, i got to call this out. We're not willing to do those things, right? Some, some family members, though, there may be a time where you're going, why don't you want them to come? And um, I had one individual tell another family member, meaning a parent, I have to be very careful on this, but I have permission to be very careful, um, is they're like, I don't want my parents to come because they know more about what they want to tell me that I'm doing wrong rather than who I could be in Christ. And it's not biblical stuff. It's, this, it's the basic things. Everything, I, I don't even, and, and they started going, they're like, I don't even vacuum right. There's not enough lines on the carpet. Who cares? It's clean. Anybody? Amen? Amen. Because we get so caught up in the wrong things. But he's saying go. And if we can't handle that, how are we going to handle the depths of Scripture to go to our brother or our sister and say, hey, hang on a second. Like even my mom, who's still living, right, she is also a sister in Christ. 
So I am biblically obligated to go to her if I see her doing something that's not biblical, which I've never seen before in my life, and to go to her and, and say, hey, mom, by the way, here's something I'm seeing that's I, it's not jiving with this. Their response, if I do it with gentleness, is on them, not on me. But I am still biblically obligated to do that. The church being in Corinth isn't the problem. The problem is when Corinth started being in the church. And so we need to be impacting the world around us. Here's one way to say it. No one should be so detached from the world that they are not impacting the world. Right? Now, some of our, because some of our postures uh, in, in the church today is hide from the world, hide from the world. No. That is not biblical. I'm sorry. We should want to impact the world. And I know that we live in a world that is crazy right now. It's in disarray, and there's so much hardship. And listen, I have plenty of thoughts, um, hopefully uh, are all grounded in the Word of God, that I look at what certain leaders are doing, and I'm like, oh, and I strongly disagree with them. But rather than trying to step into a posture at all of judging them, I think my time is better spent praying for them. I think that's biblical. And I think of them differently because if they're not a believer, they're not living according to the things I'm living according to. I'm not here to judge them. I'm here to pray for them and to call them out in prayer that God would do a great work in them because you or I cannot change anybody, but the power of the Holy Spirit can. We're to be salt and light. That's similar amount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. He's coming out. You're to be salt. You're to be light. That's that... We are to be morally distinct. That's that distinctive flavor that we are to have. And so if we come together, people should look at the church and go, why are you guys so different? Not because of our posture toward them in terms of being judging, but they look at the way we still choose to care for them, even though we are different, the way we choose to love them and to do significant things for them, expecting nothing in return. And they go, why are you so, di- why are you so different? And we say, well, because we have encountered the grace of Jesus. Allowing the professed believer to live against the instruction of the word is actually confusing to the world. I don't get it. You're claiming this, but living just like us. I don't get it. Now, we know it's by faith that we are saved, but then we live according to his word because we're so overwhelmed by what he does. And so if they look at our lives and we're claiming Christ, but living as they live, they're going, well, why do I even need to know? I don't need to claim Christ because you're living just like I live. Friends, weird. we need to insulate ourselves from the world, but never isolate ourselves from the world. We, are to, we, need to, we need to be careful not to adopt those practices and then especially to bring them back into the church. But it does not say that we should isolate ourselves from the world and then have no, to have no role in impacting them. And everybody's going to fall a little different place on exactly how to do that. What I would encourage the majority of people to do is just relax a little bit and remember that God's sovereign. 
Can I just encourage you? How, I can't believe you would work for them. I could never work for them. Maybe they're actually leading some of them to know Jesus. Relax. I'm not saying to relax on loving the Word. I'm not saying that. But you, friends, I've said it already. You're not going to change anybody. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that leads to transformation of the heart. All right? And our responsibility as the church is not to judge the world. It is our responsibility to reach the world by loving the world. The judgment's left to God. That was them. Okay, I'm just kidding. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and following. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, etc. Don't let it contaminate you. And the dilemma that we can have, which is why I keep saying this over and over, the dilemma we have is when we have someone that we love, especially if they claim to know Jesus, they attach their heart to a sin. And when someone attaches their heart to a sin, it can be perceived as being unloving and uncaring to hold them accountable to biblical truth. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? But yet we still have a biblical obligation to be in love to the believer, to those who confess Christ is Lord, to go to them and say, wait a second. Listen, the, the church not being willing to do this is part of the reason we're in such a conundrum right now. Because what we have said is, if you have a preference of greed, sexual morality, any of these things, idolatry, if you have a preference, now we have lost our footing to speak against it. So when you look at this passage and he tells us, he's like, listen, if somebody bears the name of brother and he's guilty of these things, don't even eat with them. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you are to judge. It, is it not those inside the church you are to judge? Like, this is about the believer. This is not about us trying to be this way toward people who don't know Jesus. And then he says, God judges those outside. You don't have to. Take off your Superman cape. It ain't on you. So stop acting like it. But purge the evil person from among you, from those within it. They're contaminating you because their acceptance of sin within the body of Christ will pollute the entire thing. And then you lose the very thing that you are to be fighting for. Four things that we need to do. I'm going to give you four quick steps. Very quick. Because you guys made me go way over. Four steps to representing Christ in a broken world. I'll go real fast. One, live a distinctive life. That's that morally distinct. Live a distinct salt. Matthew, right? 
I've already said it. Matthew chapter 5, 13 and following. Like, we are to live a distinctively different life than other people. We're not supposed to look like everybody else. Why are you forgiving me right now? God forgave me through his son, Jesus. Yeah, but I stole money from you. I get it. I'm not going to let you do it again, but I'm like, it's happened, right? Second, one of our values here, living loving relationships with, with other people. We want loving relationships to set the tone for community here. And that means love involves accountability. Can I, can, ooh, can I say that again? Love of your brother or sister involves accountability. I love you too much to let you go on sinning. Romans, should we just go on sinning so that grace may abound? No. Third, don't isolate from the world, but insulate yourself through honest evaluation and allowing accountability. Friends, this was a game changer for me. We know mature leaders invite what? Accountability. It was a game changer when I started inviting it. Not allowing it, but inviting it. You notice how the posture changes if I come up to somebody and say, hey, how's my leadership? How's my preaching? I need to know those things. Leading and preaching, leading and preaching. Those are my two primary things. I need to know how they're going. Like, hold me accountable to this. Versus somebody having to come up to me and go, hey, Joel, by the way, I wanted to talk to you about something and automatically the conversation's awkward. Remove the awkwardness by inviting it. If you're mature in Christ and you know your footing is in the Word of God and in who He desires for you to be and to bring glory to His will and all of His name, then you'll invite that accountability. That's how you represent Christ in a broken world because it's so different than anything else. And then also, finally, be known for what you believe in, not simply what you stand against. We have too many people. You know more of what you stand against than what you stand for. And what we stand for in the name of Jesus Christ will always be greater. Amen. We got to know that. If the world knows us more for what we don't like about them than why we love them, we've missed the mark. And so, Lord, we come before you and we praise you and we worship you and we ask that you would give us the strength, that you would give us, give us, God, the heart and the opportunity to hold each other as brothers and sisters accountable to your truth while still loving the world in radical ways. Surely you've done the same for us. Surely you've done the same for us. Praise be to you. Amen.